Hello everyone, dry January, if you're drinking already, you're a very naughty boy or girl, but I won't judge you. For me, I'm sober Joe, we're gonna get this show on the road, don't worry, it's been a long day. Blue Monday's gone, I don't know what it is, Thursday, damn, not living up to the old dry Jan theme. Anyways, all will be revealed in 15 seconds. Woo! Who's still on LinkedIn at this time, I wonder? I'm glad you're here. Anyways, three, two, one. Woo. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. If you do have that alcoholic beverage, I'm not going to judge you. But don't worry, I won't be sleeping at the wheel. Julia, my guest, might have a little taste of something over here. On non-alcoholic or no, I don't know. But anyways, I should probably introduce this show welcome everyone to the architecture social and we're gonna go deep deep and talk about is this for me what do i mean by that 10 tips that julia here has on finding your fit in studio culture because i always think that when you're going for a job you're always thinking about impressing that company you're worried about what they're gonna think about you however we're going to talk about is it right for you and going through that search and this was julia's amazing idea so julia nichols welcome to the stage how are you i am good thank you thank you very much you get a yeah, virtual, virtual really... round of applause <laughs> yeah no i'm really good thank you i think it's a really important thing to discuss that an interview is a two-way thing you should be finding the right fit for you they should be finding the right fit for them so i guess today is about helping people work out how to find their fit yeah i think you're right and to help people find their fit julia i know what you've done in industry but for those who might not know you yet can you tell everyone about all the wonderful things you've done in the industry Okay. So I am a communications strategist. I've worked with architects for over 20 years, helping them to communicate with their clients, with the wider industry, with their community around them. And really just working with startups to really establish studios. I think communications has to be really authentic to each practice and backed up with evidence and activity. There's no point in having really great messaging if you're not actually doing that work as well. And for those 20 plus years have mostly been in practice. I've only been a consultant for two years. So mm. I've been a part of a culture or several cultures and been on that journey. I've experienced the sort of culture and the social life from being a graduate and a sort of young employee hungry to make a good impression. Yeah. I've then become a parent. I'd now, I guess what you term midlife. <laughs> it's just a bit before you get old. And I've experienced from all levels of management. I left my last practice as a director, so I've been like a participant and I've also been responsible for creating and nurturing culture. Nice. And now as a consultant, I guess I get to speak to a lot of practices about what they do to create a culture or not. Yeah. Brilliant. I think that's super cool and helpful for this topic to be someone that's done the job, but also someone who you've got to that management level because you can see both sides of the coin because and it's i think when you're on one side 
is, is you think, oh, we should be doing this and that. But when you've actually been a manager as well, sometimes, you know, certain things come to light that you think, oh, wow, Definitely. okay, there's a reason why that didn't happen. And now, I think how uh, your experience of culture kind of changes according to the position you're in your kind of career, but also in your life, different bits mm -hmm. will be more important than others at different life stages. And I think very much people create a culture, like a company has to invest in setting a framework, making time and resource available to create a culture. But then it's the culture plus the employees that kind of have an active role in making that culture come alive. And for me, that's where it's absolutely essential that a company needs to listen to and understand the people in their organization to know that they're going to create a culture that people are going to want to engage in. You've got to know your people and know your audience. It shouldn't feel like something that's imposed on you by a single person's want of what a culture should be. It really needs to be felt by the whole company and the team. Very cool. Now, I was just thinking while well, you're yeah, because you've sent me this awesome list that you've curated. So we've distilled all those years of knowledge down. So I'm going to bring up number one, actually. So I'm just typing away. I promise, Julia, I'm not distracted. I'm in the room. I was just doing it as we go. And number one that you put down on these 10 tips for finding your fit within studio cultures was values and purpose. Now that could mean a few different things in different contexts to different people, but what's your understanding of value and purpose? Yeah. So to start off with, I think purpose and values, as well as culture, for me is the starting point of every communication strategy I work on. I couldn't create a strategy without knowing all of those three things. For me, values and purposes is the why of a company. It's the reason that they set up practice. It's the driving force behind the work that they do. It's not just a manifesto that sits as text on a website page. It's something that is deeply felt and is consistently evidence in action. So some practices are very clear about their purpose and values. It's basically about clear, being clear about what you do, but more importantly, why you do it. So if I'm thinking about building sustainably with timber and hybrid structures, one of the first practices that comes to mind is Wall Thistleton. And if you look at Wall Thistleton, you'll see that they are consistently talking about why it's so important, what the benefits are. If I'm thinking about practices that might improve the quality of social housing. I'm thinking immediately of people like Bell Phillips, Pittman Toza, Archeo, those practices that are always talking about their why. So sometimes it's easy to find values and purpose, sometimes it's not. You can look for things like, what kind of clients are they working for? And organizations, are those clients and organizations that you want to be working for? Are there any kind of ethical issues there in terms of regimes or organizations that you don't think fit with who you would be comfortable working with? And also that, that applies to projects. Would you be comfortable working on an airport, for example, in a sort of climate crisis? One of the high profile projects at the moment is the NEOM project in Saudi Arabia. It's wow. picking up a lot of stick of people calling it an ecological and moral atrocity. But for others, it's a real innovative challenge in engineering and in architecture. Just thinking, would you be comfortable in that scenario? Thinking about the accessibility and the affordability of the architecture being created there. So, yeah, those are the kind of things I would be thinking about in terms of values and purpose. Where does that practice sit in the sort of industry and what do they really believe in? Very interesting. And also just to add to that as well, it's probably 
this list a lot of it as well. It can go a two-way thing. Like I think values and purpose is a good middle ground, perhaps in an interview to to talk about. And I think it really helps the architecture practice know that you've considered the company seriously. If, yeah. you re if you've read those values and purposes and maybe there's some common ground, then that can break the ice a little bit. Have you seen examples of that when you've been the hiring manager for your team? Is that something you've looked for? Yourself? Yeah, I think definitely because I think that like having shared purpose and values is a real motivator. I, I think someone's way more likely to stay in the job and see their career in that company if they really have aligned values. So definitely for me, that would be kind of tick in the box if there was evidence on both the people and the practices side of a shared purpose. Nice. I think that makes complete sense. But you know what? I'm going to put in number two here. I should have done this before, but we'll do it live anyways. It's no problem. <laughs> Ways of working. Yeah. Now that's really interesting. How would one find ways of working? Is it asking in the interview? Or... There's a few strands to this. There's some kind of like top level ones, like what's the business structure? Is it an employee ownership mm. trust, a partnership? Who are the shareholders? That kind of a very sort of top section then there's like a leadership is it traditionally hierarchical is it more collegiate is it a practice that needs to be thinking about succession bearing in mind that succession takes sort of five plus years it's a perfectly reasonable question to ask if yeah. you think it applies to that practice also the management of projects so how are different aspects of architecture managed in that practice do they have a kind of front-end concept team and then a different team for delivery is that how you want to work or do you want to see a project through right from the start to the finish how do they value the sort of design process is are they more on commercial programs where the delivery comes really quickly or do yeah. they make time for experimentation and is that something that you want to be doing in practice does their process involve community engagement or working with young people those are the kind of things that if they're fundamental to you, you'd want to see they're fundamental to the practice you're working for. And then I think management of people is another side of that. Obviously, ways of working being what does your ideal working week look like? Is it full time, part time, flexible, hybrid, all in the studio? And again, I think at different life stages, you might want to do more or less time in the studio. And this is a real kind of hot topic in the industry at the moment, because there are practices that will not evolve at all to allow any kind of hybrid working and there are others that have almost gone completely the other way and it's not to say there's a right way or a wrong way but you've got to find your fit so yeah i think th those would be the aspects of ways of working i'd be thinking about very cool and it was interesting as you expanded on the answer you're right there's what ripa stages there's the kind of approach to designing but then as you said it's the logistics isn't it it's like how do does one go about it? ATP is very community driven. The teams are all built around that. But then also on the other end, it's what's the actual job going to be? What are the yeah. hours? Uh, you will laugh today was because like, I've hired someone. We were talking a little bit about it before. Julia, woo, the architecture social is expanding. But it was our <laughs> first day working remotely. And so our ways of working are in development. <laughs> right. But rather than thinking, do you know what? everything wasn't perfect today no we're not going to go back in the office it was like actually we've got to learn how to get better in that way of work and a quick one maybe before we move on before i get the next point up well it actually ties in nicely with this 
I was going to say, you've got point number three, actually, is studio. And studio, in 2023, there'll always be an office. There will always be a culture. <laughs> it's studio, true. Studio, it's, it's physical. And now it's slightly metaphysical on teams and this and that and so forth. But what's your, you mentioned in terms of the top 10 tips to look for in the right fit. Why is studio so important? I think uh, particularly when you're looking at studio culture, yeah. the feel that you get from a studio environment really says a lot and how yeah. you can evidence like who's working there. Does it seem accessible and friendly? Do people seem happy? Do you think you'd be able to work collaboratively in that environment? This is obviously going to be different depending on how often people are in the studio or is it in a kind of we work type of space where yeah. it's more difficult to create your own environment. But I guess firstly, I'll be thinking about location. Does it suit you that there's now a sort of growing trend for actually architects to be based more in like neighborhoods, even suburban neighborhoods, mm. rather than all in bunched together in Clerkenwell or whatever? How does that work with you? Someone's awkward neighborhood to get to is actually somebody else's total dream location. Mm. So thinking about will you take public transport, cycle to walk, how will that impact your experience of working there? If you are going to be cycling there, do they have showers and changing and storage? Also, do they have space for a kitchen to prepare food or just heat up some food? Is there yeah. communal dining? So that kind of environment, does it feel welcoming? Does it feel like somewhere that you could just be comfortable being, talk about this, or bringing your authentic self to work? Do you feel like you could be yourself in that space? And also something I think would be really important is can you see spaces to do focused work, but also collaborative work or be social? Because you no longer need to come to an office just to sit at a desk all day. That's We can do that at home. So you're actually going to the studio for other reasons. Does the environment support you doing those other activities, social and collaborative? So I guess that those are the kind of physical studio things, assuming that there is a physical studio, which I think to be honest, like in my opinion, I feel it's a shame not to have any kind of studio at all. I think culture comes from being together. So I'm, I, in this context, I'm assuming there is some kind of studio. Yeah, I agree. I've been making these decisions very recently and I went from, we can do a bunch of it remote and then now I'm going into the office and I agree with you. There is something nice about being together. You've got the camaraderie. There's something nice about being in a space where you can like, touch stuff and be close with one another at the same time though i think like you said studio environment flexibility flexibility yeah. is a key and i think employers have to embrace flexibility it's not going away and yeah. i probably think like maybe the old guard and stuff are trying to get people back in the office four to five days a week they probably lose out a lot of people yeah they do on. yeah no yeah. i completely agree i think if you're not going to evolve or going to slice off a huge amount of potential employees who you know are there's a lot of talent there that you're just counting out and I definitely feel that a studio is important but I also strongly feel you don't need to be there all the time I think that that's a management issue of when do people need to be in and when do they not need to be in yeah I agree and be before we moved on to the next point I'm glad you touched upon something you're a proud mother you have a family and my experience before, Julia, is that I would meet really amazing architects or even people at different points in their career where they got to look after someone or they've just had their first born child or whatever. 
And yes. it's a bit of a strange situation before because it was like, oh, you have to be in the office by nine because everyone else is. So basically people's careers were put on hold, yeah. which is a shame. Whereas now I think people are starting to realize, hang on, if we start doing things remote and flexi, then you can make something work for everyone. Have you seen a big change on that side? Yeah, I'd like to have seen more of a change, but it's definitely changing. And I think the younger practices, it's just a given. I also think very strongly that you don't need to, you don't need to start a family to want some flexibility, but you know, that you have other things going on in your life that are important to you. So obviously starting a family is a really big moment, but there are other big moments and big priorities that you could have in your life that just mean you want some flexibility. So yeah, I think it's really important. Yeah, said. I mean, all right, well, I've got the next tip coming up. I was just going to say that we've got one or two little comments coming in from the Ooh. lovely audience. Those who are on LinkedIn at this time of night, I applaud you. Lovely to see you, Ao, who says, totally agree. Have to admit, I'm going to start in a co-working space now and then to mix things up and to see people more. I tell you what, if you're in WeWork Waterloo, come join me. So got loads of pool tables and stuff. And that's where I am at the moment. <laughs> Although that might distract you because I am quite loud and Welsh. But somehow in that WeWork, it's so loud that I you don't hear me, which is amazing. Normally, <laughs> normally it's the other way around. And I was distracting people in the studio and causing loud internal communication. <laughs> this is That's probably not what you meant, though, when you put this point. I'm dying to know what why you thought number four internal communication was a good tip that people should look out for i think you could probably do a whole episode on internal communications but i've whittled it down in fact i like you shared a stats earlier this month Stephen, about transparency cool. you said 96 percent of job seekers say transparency is really important to them True. yeah and i think it i completely agree it's really important it's also i think worth saying a fairly new or sort of recent management consideration. I think if you were managing 10, 20 years ago, no one expected transparency. And it, so it's almost something that has to be learned of what are the boundaries to transparency. But mm. I do think there's a real benefit to bringing people on the journey with you of running a business, of winning new work, of taking the practice forward. I think with all the employee ownership trusts and all this kind of thing, people want to feel invested. And if they don't, they're going to be more likely to move off and try and find that somewhere else. So I think transparency is really important. So things like open forums, this is something to think about if you're in a studio at the moment as well, not nice. so looking for work and thinking, how could we do this better? Architecture is such a slow game. You could be on a project for years without working on anything else. So it's really nice to know what else is happening in the business that might be quite exciting, that it could be the next thing you work on. So what are kind of project wins or competitions that are happening? What's the strategy for kind of the business moving forward or communications or succession, as we spoke about earlier, all these things yeah. that people might actually be interested in outside of their particular project. Mm. And then transparency in terms of coming back to values and things, are there focus groups for perhaps skills and training that people might need? This often needs to be fed from the bottom to the top in terms of where things are moving and what they might need upskilling. 
in? Are there diversity and inclusion focus groups or like a social focus group that kind of bring that side of the culture forward? That's the sort of internal communication that I was thinking about in terms of if you're in practice or you're looking at a practice. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And like what you said, these tips could be used to improve cultures, but also maybe they're things that you haven't thought about and maybe it could set off some alarm bells or things you should think about. Because sometimes when you get in an environment, you're taking it for a given. I remember when I went into a new office and I'm like, really, is person saying that? That's just, and then you go, oh, that's just what they like. And I know, yeah, you get, I totally agree. Oh, it's just the way it is here. And you think there should be an openness to, from management to yeah. listen to younger people because the people who won't listen to younger people won't evolve and we know what happens to those companies. Yeah, 100%. I think it, it makes complete sense. And also now I'll tell you the last point on that before we move on to a big one. Number five is pretty big. I'll keep everyone in suspense. <laughs> Communication, though, is it's also not just about what's said. It's all the vehicles, isn't it? And it gets confusing now with Teams and you got Slack and Zoom and WhatsApp yep. groups. So it can get pretty messy. I So when I'm trying to work out the right kind of balance as well. But It's uh, a really good point. Yeah, I think you could do a whole show on it. Yeah, how how to streamline it a little bit more so that people feel involved, but not like overwhelmed with information. Yeah, and you also want like a place to blow off steam. And I think that's quite important. How do you emulate that kind of kitchen, coffee shop nonsense that one or two people talk to each other on online? It can be quite a tricky one because definitely today on my first working from home experiment. I still think it was really good and it's quite nice. Maybe it's peaceful to do certain things. I did miss the fun, the banter. There's only so much a GIF can replace rather than people. I will move on to the next point now, which is (laughs) like 70-80% of the content on the architecture social. So good luck summarizing it very quickly. (laughs) But I agree, it's really important. Career progression. Really important. Oh, there's so many things we could say here. I'm going to start with, are there regular structured performance reviews? Remember, again, these are a two-way process. Any decent employer is going to want to know how you're doing and feed that back, but also how they are doing. How's your experience? And in terms of setting goals and following up on those goals, there should be notes written that you can come back to. I'm a really big champion of those really structured and recorded reviews because things can easily get forgotten. And I think it really does help motivate. If you're still qualifying, what kind of support is there? Informal or formal? So part three peer groups, which may be led by somebody in practice, or actually it could just be peer group, just supporting each other in that way. Do they engage with apprenticeship schemes? Is there any mentoring or reviews? Again, just informally that if you're doing your part three and you just want to run through with someone, is there somebody there assigned or just somebody yeah. you know friendly that you can talk to to get a bit of a steer? How do they invest in upskilling people when you know new software technology? Are they willing to send people on training courses or to get somebody in to do like a bulk training? And also management training. I think this is really important and it may not be for you yet, but your managers who maybe have been an architect and they've suddenly been promoted to a people management role, are those people being trained to manage people? Because I think you'll find most often they won't. 
And they really should be because that's a completely different skill set. That's not what you learn at architecture school. But if you're in charge of managing people, I think that you really should be trained in some way. And there are programs. There's one called the Step Up Program, which is really coaching people into managing people when you're actually a creative yourself. If they don't do that, it's going to lead to very poor support for their staff and possibly a report experience. And the other thing I think is worth, I've seen this be a problem in other practices where is the practice open to you being somebody perhaps outside of management, attending industry events or taking opportunities? There's a lot of next gen networking opportunities. Would your firm be happy to pay for your tickets to go to those events? If you said, look, I've been asked to join a design review panel or I've applied and got accepted, would they be happy to let you do that in work time? Because it is actually beneficial to you and the practice. If you're invited to quit or do a kind of occasional teaching role, how supportive is your practice of that? Those are the kind of things that I think, if they're important to you, if being like staying part of academia is important to you, those are the kind of things that I think you should be thinking about with career progression. Yeah, exactly. And then I think if you ask to go to an event or on, on a topic which could help improve yourself and by effect of that improve the company and the company says no, or kind of huffs and puffs or complains that you're not, you know, you're interfering. If that's a pattern of things that are going on, you're right. It's probably not a progressive environment, which is really yeah. short term because I'm always amazed, like the employer will always get something out of it. And if, for instance, like London Build Expo, I popped out there last year and said, oh, I'm a bit tired. Should I do it? Will it be good for me? Will it be good for the business? I'm not too sure. When you go to these things, you make so much connections. You learn so much. And that, like you said, that maybe being involved in Grasshopper Group or the BIM London circuit, yeah. you're going to learn really cool stuff. It's going to make so much network. And it's great for the company, outward-facing person. Isn't it great when your employees are knocking around, meeting people and talking about how good the company is? So there's loads of benefits, I think, you know? What's yeah, wrong? definitely. I think it's a win-win, but I've definitely seen practice be like, no, you need to be at your desk working on this project. And I agree with you. It's really short-sighted. Yeah. And the last thing I'd add to that before we move on is that Career progression doesn't necessarily need to be expensive in, in, in yeah. that sense. It can be everything from a LinkedIn course all the way up to, yes, okay, proper career progression. But actually, a lot of it is even simpler stuff like taking the junior staff members to a site visit. They're going to learn a lot. They love it. You're going to go That's there anyways. Thing. And it's those little things like that really keep people being excited if they've been behind the computer for a while going on site and going there with someone you look up to can be a total thrill and okay take a camera and send them to the marketing department win exactly, win win yeah i think it's thinking about their journey making sure everyone's having a good journey in your company and then they're more likely to want to stay and continue there yeah i think so okay now this is Jack. I'm super impressed by this. This is all Julia's work, everyone. I'm just that <laughs> I look like I've written all these and I'm organized, but it's this is all Julia. So the next point that you've put down, which is really important, is inclusion. Now, yeah. I find that people struggle to unpack this or sometimes it's such an overwhelming topic that people shy away with it. 
What's your experience on inclusion then, Julian? For me, I think that it can be a topic that, as you say, feels too big to some practices. Look, we try and put words in our that's that we hope will attract a diverse candidates, and then it just doesn't happen. And but yeah. for me, first thing I'd be looking for in a company is representation. Are there black and Asian architects? Are there women in management positions, anyone with a disability work there. And across the studio, from junior staff to management, I'd be looking for representation. That's your first sort of step. Yeah. If this seems like a practice who is finding representation a challenge, then I would definitely want to know what they're doing about it. <clears throat> Firstly, there's training programs and there's a lot of consultancies and workshops available on kind of equity, diversity and inclusive culture change. So there's nothing stopping anyone from learning what they could be doing more of to increase representation in their firm, but also in the industry and also challenging themselves to think about is the environment we have here welcoming to everybody? Is it an inclusive environment and culture? So there's nothing stopping anyone doing that. And then I think, again, do they engage with any initiatives that encourage diversity in the industry? Again, of which there are so many that you could literally just plug into. So no one's saying you have to set up your own program. You could do Open City Accelerate, ROBA Future Architects, Building Futures, Reset Go. You could, if you felt like, okay, look, we don't have the time, you could just give to a bursary like the Neighborhood Scholarship Fund. There's really nothing stopping you from doing your bit to increase representation in the industry. So those are definitely questions that I would be asking in an interview. If I couldn't see representation, then I would be asking, what are they doing? Yeah, makes sense. This list, does, I think, is also quite poignant time for me, who's trying to build up my team. So thank you for this. It's like getting a coaching <laughs> session myself. It's just, I can't see any downside of why you wouldn't be inclusive. It's absolutely maddening, Julia, that we still have to put it here because there is such a long way to go still, isn't it? And I'm like you, yeah. I go look on some websites and you've got some amazing ones and there's some great companies who are really inclusive and talk about going that way. And then I, oh, there's the old school, there's a running joke, isn't it? Of 10, 50 year old, gray head, white blokes. And yeah, okay, but you got to mix it up a bit. You, as you said, you want different perspectives. You want yeah. a balance. It's very important to me. I wouldn't want a bunch of men because that's just one direction that the company's going in, right? We have to be inclusive. And also times are changing. I'm hopeful as well. I'm starting to see different people going into architecture. It isn't such a middle-class perceived profession there's nothing wrong yeah. with being middle class what i mean is it's really opening up now isn't it and i think that as well employers need to appeal to everyone because it's 2023 do i really want to work in a non-inclusive environment yeah probably not again no? like a bit like they're not offering flexible flexibility in terms of working these yeah. firms are missing out on a whole tranche of talent coming through the system who are going to look at their website and their, like you say, lineup of bold white men and just be like, no, that's not for <laughs> me. And that's their loss. You, Yeah, I think that practices really need to make a good, decent effort to do their bit. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong of old grey and white men because I will be one 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 day, so don't worry. <laughs> we're just making an extreme point to illustrate the problem and where we're going with the solution 
brilliant. So I've got the next one, which actually I think is going in the right direction. However, it's gone. It's going in the right direction from quite a dire place. Now, I often, Julia, use the, I think of architects, architects, like the fountain pen, that old film where the guy passes out after basically doing the model and staying up all night and saving the day. And there is that romantic notion in architecture of we must do what it takes because the architect knows best or we have to save the day and so forth. But it's often at the cost of your own personal well-being. It's a, and it's a price that adds up over time. What's your thoughts and observations on well-being? Yeah, I, again, I think you're right. Things are changing. There's definitely more practices that are prioritizing sensible working hours and really thinking about how they can stick to sensible working hours with efficiency, limiting the amount of design options that they yeah. go through and just knowing when a sort of creative process has come to a bit of a standstill. So there's obviously crossover on well-being with the, what we were talking about with studio environment and way, ways of working. It's basically making sure you're getting your work and home life balance and you're being looked after so that you're not going to burn out or take yeah. on too much. It, I think, as you say, architecture is often seen as this sort of slightly vocational job that you'll just give everything to it. And I think not just in the architecture industry, but across lots of industries, people are just like, that's just not a way that people can work for very long. And I think particularly young people coming through now are just not prepared to do it good. <laughs> and I think leaders need to learn that pe people do want a better balance. They don't want to be there late at night, unpaid. That's no longer acceptable. I think looking at how they support individuals in terms of sensible working hours, policies, and also a process of how to get support if you need it. There, there's often it within management certain people that you can talk to who aren't your immediate boss that if you feel something's not right, you have another avenue. Obviously yeah. in very small companies that that sort of might be slightly more problematic. But yeah, I would really be looking at care of your physical and mental well-being in a studio. Yeah, said. And I agree that actually, and now as I'm experiencing as an employer, really the buck stops, oh, my brain's gone, the buck stops short. I think that was the right saying. With the company owner, we have to be responsible yeah. for our employees' well-being. That being said, I'll just make one note that if anyone in the audience is particularly struggling with their well-being, it's a really good resource. The Arctic's Benevolence Society, if you work in the industry, you can contact them and they have a really good help support line and they'll just really help you out with that. If you are, unfortunately, in an environment which perhaps isn't looking after well-being sometimes though even the best in companies what i think is if you've got a particularly difficult project or something unfortunately some people kind of slip between the cracks and i think that goes back to what you were saying earlier julia where you know internal communication and sometimes you do have to have those uncomfortable conversations i'm feeling a bit burnt out at the moment yeah and hopefully that will be received in a way that isn't the Gordon Ramsay world we were talking about of <laughs> what you absolute donkey donut why you exactly. know exactly yeah you would hear all these reports of like bullying and toxicity and long hours and that's not okay and you need to be on the lookout for it yeah so I think that uh, yeah it, it's just it's a really important aspect nice now the next one in the list when I saw it I was like ah oh, that makes sense very 
I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on this. I've got a few ideas on it, but how does one stay in, inspired? We touched upon just now difficult deadlines and stuff, and that can be a bit of a Debbie Downer because you're like, oh, knackered <laughs> and all that stuff. But even in the good times, the importance of keep pe keeping people inspired. What's your yeah. experience on them? I think so the, you've obviously got your career progression, but staying inspired generally about this industry that we're in, does your company invest in research and innovation? So this is outside of projects, but in working hours, importantly, it, and, it, and usually research should be based around sort of something to do with their purpose or a kind of industry cause or issue that they're trying to address. If actually research is important to you, are they a practice that invests in research? A lot do, but also many don't. So that's yeah. something to look out for. There was also a great post thinking about CPD content and being interesting and keeping up to speed with things. Chris Simmons, who I'm not sure if he's able to make the call today, but I'm sure he'll be listening later. Oh. He did a great post, was it this week, saying that these are not just for sandwiches, which did make me chuckle. But he was saying that really, this is like a really important part of your journey, whatever stage you're at. It shouldn't just be a sales pitch by suppliers. It should be keeping you up to speed with evolving standards, new materials, innovative technologies. And so it should really be something that keeps you inspired. And a practice who's just getting mongery manufacturers coming in every week or tile suppliers, not that those things aren't also part of the mix, but I would be saying, come on, that this really isn't, we literally are just here for the sandwiches. So yeah, I yeah. think, yeah, thinking what does inspire you and am I learning? Mm. And I think also learning based on practice experience. So do you have internal forums based around sharing skills and experiences? When you finish a project, there will always be lessons learned, good and bad, mistakes made, but actually also innovative things that you did that could be rolled out in the next project. That just makes good business sense. But it's also very interesting because it's a real live problem or solution. And that's a really good learning process. And it's a building that you could probably visit. And that was yeah. my final point here is actually taking your staff out of the office to your own sites, to your own finished buildings, but also to other people's and perhaps even contacting. I used to do this in a practice is actually contact other studios and say, can you just show us around this recently completed building? And more often than not, they were more than happy to because they were really proud of it. Yeah. Are there any exhibitions going on at the building center or the Barbican or NLA that you could go to? It could even be a kind of 4.30 trip out of the office, but people can still be home by six if they want, If they, but they can also stay on and have a drink if they want to. So those kind of things just to keep you inspired within the industry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to go slightly back to the CPD thing because I saw Chris's post and little quick interlude. Chris is like the nicest guy. And I know his content is starting to pop off and but really amazing, cool stuff. Yeah, Chris said these not just for the sandwiches. I was the naughty boy that went for the sandwiches. <laughs> but I agree with you, though. There was one that I went to and it was really interesting. Talked about the offices of the future and you had to pick which way you think it was going to go. It was really interactive and I paid attention for the whole thing and it was really cool and you're right like the next week was just some ceramic tiles and i was like dying in the background <laughs> but they had pret sandwiches so i was like oh gosh no, i know that no. manufacturer has them <laughs> but you're right i think the cpd as is a space for innovation i've got a few ideas in the future of what could disrupt that but you're right i think that could be 
a really nice source of inspiration. The only last thing I would say on that, which I've seen a really cool example of it, is like internal competitions. Okay, maybe it's not a building that's going to get built, but how cool is that? Suddenly people Definitely. come to life. The part one comes out of nowhere with the best project ever. And you're like, what the heck? Where's that guy come from? He's Definitely. amazing. Definitely. And me as the comms team, when I've seen projects like that, there was once, I think, perhaps did a, it was like a flamingo hide or something, or Ooh. flamingo sort of enclosure somewhere sort of Middle East. or so. And I was just, I had no idea this had gone on. It was a totally kind of random competition and we didn't get shortlisted, but we, sh we should share that kind of thing anyway. And we did, and it went down really well. So it's, yeah, it's just showing people what's going on. It just helps everybody stay inspired. Amazing. We've got a comment come in from an anonymous LinkedIn, I think, because you've got to tick the allow button. But Mr. or Mrs. Anonymous says, hi, Steve, Reba Core 20 CBDs are fab, but pricey. Employers, pay for the Reba tw Core 20 and RBA. <laughs> come on, let's get a coupon code. We've got to be, we've got to be, where's the point? We've got to be inclusive, right? We don't want to price people out of all the good stuff. Come on, RBA. Okay, we'll put it on your list when you get there. Okay, I digress and I'll go back to the track because we're nearing the end of your amazing list. Social. Okay. We're almost there, yeah. Now, this is like the social life of the practice. And I know it's more or less important to certain practices, but for me, the social life, it can be in working hours and it can be out of working hours. But again, you need to think about your team and what do you want out of a social life? I think that if you're a student and you've just moved to a city or you've just started in a practice, you're a recent graduate, then obviously your social life is maybe going to be more important because you want to create friendships and yeah. maybe meet other people from other parts of the company, different departments. As other commitments come into play and perhaps these sort of pile on in later life, then you might find the social aspect is less important to you. So you're thinking about other responsibilities, other commitments, other passions that you have. And I would really be thinking about the social life of a practice. How optional is it? Because there are definitely practices that kind of, if you're not on board with the social life, which can be quite demanding, yeah, you're not actually going to progress through that company because it's that important mm. to run the company. And I'm quite anti that because I think that you shouldn't have to give up spare time and I'm certainly like not an antisocial person I've always enjoyed the social life of an office but I don't think it should be a part of your career progression necessarily so yeah I think it's just how much of a social life is there how invested do you want to be in it how important is it to your experience at that studio mm, very interesting I agree I really think so social life and now I'm getting a bit older it's still important I think when I came to London, the first architecture practice I went EPR, they had a really good social life. And they had, they got the balance, Richard, like you said, where if you were not really going out on the Fridays and stuff, you weren't really missing out. It was optional. Yeah. It wouldn't go against you. But it was also a really good way to make friends. And we're not on about like you have to get absolutely mullered or anything. You could go out for one drink or anything. But they put a lot of events on. They do the life drawing now and the yoga. So there yeah. was something for everything. If you wanted that cheeky beer, it's there. If you wanted to do the life drawing, it's there. And I thought they got the balance right. Because if you didn't go, you didn't feel the peer pressure. 
And yeah. I don't know about you, but I've had that friend before who would always, when I was younger, try to ring me up to go out. And in the end, it just absolutely drove me mad. But then you would get the fear of missing out things. So you weren't enjoying yeah. it if you don't go. <laughs> it was like peer pressure. It, it definitely can feel like that. So I think, yeah, as an employer thinking about does our offering, is it inclusive for people who don't drink or yeah. for people who I don't want to do the full stag or hen party kind of experience when they're going out. So, yeah, I, th I think just that thinking about what you want to get out of it. Yeah, exactly. Like, for instance, with me, I eat meat. My new plate is a vegan, right? And it's totally cool. And now it's just like something I, it's, it's taken me a little bit, but now I think about it constantly. Yeah. But it's stuff like that, isn't it? Where if it's all beers, maybe I don't like a beer. So people have to think about being inclusive, but these all kind of feed into each other. They do. Now, the last one. Yeah. I don't know how you're going to do You're going to, this is a big <laughs> one. This is as big as social. Community. Yeah. Community. Yeah. Uh, and this is a big one for me. And I, certainly I've, this, I've done a lot of work in this area and really enjoyed it. But for me, when I put community as the heading, I mean, as a practice, as an employer, being mm -hmm. a good neighbor, having a positive impact locally. So thinking about local engagement. So we all know that the architecture industry can be quite difficult to access or even difficult to know it exists and what the routes into it are. So making that, making yourselves and your organization accessible locally, can you do a careers talk at a local school? Can you do sort of activities or invite schools to do tours of your studio? Can you offer work experience, not just to your client's nephew, but actually to make sure that there's a commitment to 50% local, 75% local? And also, can you share skills with local organizations? And certainly, I've seen this happen before where an architect can work with a community organization who's trying to get funding for redevelopment of their building or an extension and actually just a few hours of your time to sketch out what could be possible can literally be the unlocking to them getting funding from a grant or the borough and it'll unlock the whole process. So I think there are lots of ways that architects can make a positive impact locally and should, as, yeah. as should every industry. But I think architects almost have such a useful set of skills and quite a sort of barrier to accessibility that, uh, yeah, there's a, a lot of ways you can be a good neighbor. Very well said. And also the bit that I would like to add to community as well is also with other architecture practices. So I think there's a softball, but also there's a few other yeah. things where there's like a few events like the Young Architects Developers Alliance, and that's a bunch of architects mixing, but getting involved, getting in the community, mixing with other practices. There's a chicken run in the ABS with all architecture practices. They raise money for charity and then celebrate after, but also that cross collaboration i think can be enriching in as well rather than this silo thing where you're the you only um you're near with the your own company yeah. i used to i think that's an old way of something it's like oh they're the competition whereas exactly like a, yeah yeah whereas like and now i'm in a we work it's quite funny because even in recruitment there's this when it's like sales and maybe you'll know as well when you're competing for bids you're like oh heaven forbid i talk about this and certain things and okay i don't know there's confidential aspects of projects but when you're in these environments and everyone's co-working i realized quite quickly people they care about their business they're not in but it's fine and when architects meet up 
with each other. They're not out there to gouge information. Usually, they were. It's, and it's sometimes nice to meet people in the profession at different places. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's an, another sort of side of it, isn't it? That kind of industry community. And you're seeing it more and more with younger practices who are collaborating together, pitching together, things like the London Practice Forum, which is a sort of group of smaller architects that kind of group yeah. together to share knowledge and skills. They even share staff. So, you know, if one sort of project oh. goes apart, they new staff across and then they come back. It's, it's a really great idea because there's so much if you're all of those practices went away to research insurance or whatever, then that's so many people spending time doing the same thing. Whereas if they pull those resources, then it just, it makes so much sense. There's so much valuable knowledge that can be shared between other, other people within the same industry. Very cool. I've heard of one or two elusive groups in the industry of HR and architecture. And there is one. Yeah. There's a financial directors one. There as well. So there's a few. There's a couple I've... of comms ones as well. In fact, one of them oh. run by IO and they're brilliant. And actually when I set up as a consultant, I was, I was so surprised at how many of my competitors actually reached out to me in a really friendly and lovely way. And we ask each other for advice. We share contacts. It's a really supportive landscape. And I think that's the way it should be. Very cool. And look, we've covered the 10, your 10 amazing points where you offer the <laughs> insight. So I'm going to do a round of applause. I was just noticing because I got this new big cup. If you were wearing 3D glasses, it looks like I'm coming out of the screen. So sorry, the audience for like jabbing you in the face, but it keeps me hydrated throughout the show. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to talk about your consultancy in, in, in a second, but just before that, Julie, I always like to throw give the opportunity for people to ask me questions now as such a diligent character i reckon you already knew i was going to do that and you might have one or two questions for me before we wind down so for me or the audience you can ask me yeah don't worry about the audience oh sorry well, the audience oh they're all gonna <laughs> leave now you can ask a question but julia you can ask me a question as well Firstly, is there anything that you think I have missed off the list in terms of culture? Would there be anything you would be looking for? I, good question. Which yeah. one would be most important to you if you were giving up the architecture social, looking for a job? <laughs> Never uh, going Which one's most important? Crikey, controversial one. Discussing salary, I think, would be an important one. It's not all about the salary. It is, though, important because especially now things are quite tough. And I think it shouldn't be all about the salary, but I think we have to start normalizing the conversations of salaries because I yeah. used to remember, Julia, being so worried about bringing it up that I often wouldn't. And then it would come at the end and then I would worry about it. Whereas actually being professionals, it's actually OK to talk about salaries. And I think one of the baptisms of fire of learning this the hard way, as you know now, is being your own consultant because really the buck stops with you. And if you don't bring up money at the front, sometimes you can waste a time down the process. And I think that it's okay to talk about it when you're talking about the full position. You should be interested in the projects. You should be interested in a lot of stuff that we talked about here. What is the studio culture? You should gloss like inclusivity. You can challenge maybe in an interview when they ask 
Do you have any questions? So it's good to talk about well-being, what kind of projects, what examples of career progression opportunities do you have here? But it's also okay if it's not popped up to talk about salary. I think it's it For should sure. be normalized and encouraged in a non-confrontational way. What were yep. you looking to pay someone? And what, I think that people like the Future Architects Fund are making a real point of the, the salary should yeah. be up front on the job advert. People should know what the kind of parameters of the salary are before they have to take the time to apply and perhaps go for an interview. And yeah, I think it probably comes back to transparency as well, doesn't it? And uh, in terms yes. of, are we on the same page in terms of money? It's important. Yeah. And just to add to that as well, because I think where I sympathize with architectural practices is it's quite scary to put a number out there. But in my experience, it's never really a fixed number unless you're in the government. And it's always based on the individual and their experience and timing and so forth. And I'd encourage practices to be open with the fluidity of it. But also yeah. the thing I'd throw back is that sometimes maybe too narrow a salary can exclude people that mm -hmm. actually you'd pay extra for their skill set. And equally, sometimes maybe hiring someone a bit earlier in their career who might, could be not qualified and therefore they're on a bit of lower salary. Doesn't mean that you need to hire someone on this end to do the job it can be someone with a lot of potential and the last thing i'd add to it is like software skills they are important on one end of the scale but at the end other end of the scale we should be open to training people and i think that sometimes in recruitment they can cling to the word revit oh they don't have revit oh i'm not sure but pe most people if they're hungry and keen and eager they will learn that stuff if you give them training Definitely. Yeah. And I think a decent employer will be totally open to training you. You're, yeah, it's just uh, no one has all the assets. No, no one sort of holds all the cards at one point. So I think if someone's 90% right, but they need some training in this aspect, then an employer would be stupid not to do that. I agree. Was before I show your website, was there anything else you wanted to pick my brains on, Julia? No. <laughs> So much stuff. Just noticed a question here. Should we look at that? Because oh, I'm okay. an hour. Um, oh, yeah. Go on then. Does, so, does it harm my chances of getting into a more boutique design studio when my only experience has, in big, has been in big corporate firms? I would say no. And actually, mm. I, I've almost done the same where I've gone from being a sort of communications director in a big studio for the largest portion of my career and actually now working for very small firms, you've got to frame yourself right. So you've got to look at how your experience in the big corporate firms are going to apply to a boutique design studio. So I think it's, you'll have a lot of skills that actually the boutique design studio could benefit from. Yeah. So I think it's just really having communications for me is all about putting myself in the receiver's shoes. What would they like to hear about? What are the kind of contacts and experience that you have that's going to be really valuable to them? Yeah. So I'd done, I, the only thing I would add to that is embrace it. I always find, for instance, with if you need sponsorship or visas, it's, again, it's like the salary thing sometimes because it's an awkward situation. We can bring it up at the end, but why not go into that interview and send the application going, I've worked in a large practice. I've learned all this amazing stuff. I'm very interested in a smaller studio for X, Y, Z. And I think you get that bit out at the start and people go, okay, this is interesting. And I think then you set the scene. So that would be my advice on going from big to small or small to big. Ooh, 
Awesome. That's awesome advice. Thank you. Oh, I'm pleased. Well, you're welcome. Julie, I'm going to give you a quick round of applause and bring up your website. So everyone in the audience, Julia, tell us about what you do in your business again at the moment. I do communications consultancy. Oh, look, there's my website. Yeah, so it's basically around working with practices to understand their audiences and understand how to connect better with their audiences, which does include future employees as well as clients and collaborators, and then create a really bespoke approach to rolling out those communications in the right way. Architects traditionally have often communicated peer-to-peer, trying to impress each other rather than actually thinking about who who is commissioning us and who do we want to work with and alongside. Yeah, I work with practices for sort of two or three months and then give them a framework of advice on how I think they can best communicate with their target audiences. Amazing. If you ever were in doubt of should I or should I not speak to Julia, listen to this podcast because it was curated by her. And on that note, I'm going to give you another round of applause. Julia, I'm going to end now this live stream in a second. You've been an absolute star. And oh, for our, oh, it's true. But for our audio listeners, if you want to check out Julia's consultancy, it's www.com. Julia Nichols, J-U-L-I-A, Nichols, N-I-C-H-O-L-S. Don't forget the other L at the end. That's what caught me out before. I, I sent, yeah, I sent it to the wrong one and then worked it out quickly. I was like, damn it. So get that right. Check out Julia's website and get in contact. Julia, can people also find you on LinkedIn as well? Yes, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Instagram. Amazing. You've been an absolute star. One more clap for good measures. And you know, you've had that cheeky shot at the start. Have another one now after this. I'm going to end the live stream. And for you guys in the audience, thank you so much for being here. If you've got any suggestions for more content in 2023, I'm all yours. And if you, like I said, if you want to find me, I am in Waterloo knocking around, trying to get the computers, trying to get my HR procedures, trying to be inclusive and trying to get a good environment as well. But until then, I will see you shortly for more content. Thank you again, Julia. I'm going to end the broadcast now. Take care, everyone. Stay in the stage, Julia. See you soon.